The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, welcome to Buddha Loka Centre, the Buddhist Society of Victoria, for another Tuesday evening meditation evening together, uh, which is always a, you know, a pleasure really to meditate together. A great support. And I'll just introduce myself for those who haven't seen me before. Most of you have, but I am uh, Ajahn Nisarano, and I'm a monk who ordained with Ajahn Brahm in Perth 22 years ago, 22 years ago, and uh, but have been living for the last 13 and a half years in Sri Lanka, so quite a long time. And... Uh, now and I come to Melbourne quite quite regularly because I lived in Melbourne because <laughs> Australian. I lived in Melbourne before I ordained, and uh, was actually a member of this Buddhist society here. So it's quite nice. Uh, this is, uh, as I say, the uh, boomerang phenomena. You know, I was made in Australia, so I'm a boomerang come back. But as people often point out, that's not the purpose of the Buddha's path. <laughs> our, our, our purpose is actually to eventually not come back when we see the wisdom, when we understand that being reborn again and again is not happiness. It's never We can never find that permanent happiness and satisfaction. So that is uh, just introducing myself. And this evening, as usual, we have a, a bit of an introduction uh, probably for roughly about half an hour, a bit of a talk, which introduces the theme for the evening. And so the theme for this evening is letting be or letting go. It's a, it's a long time to talk about letting be, isn't it, really? <laughs> when you think about it. Letting be is the opposite. You don't need to talk about it very much. But for us, it's a, it is something that doesn't come very naturally. You know, when uh, people... Uh, come to meditation and hear this letting go, letting go, letting go. The first question again, or you get a question, this question comes up often how do you do it? <laughs> how do you do it? And of course, letting go, letting be is not something we do, it's just a, a realization that just to leave things as they are, not to get involved with them. But we're not very good at that. We're such uh, doers, this is we're very active uh, in our minds in our um, daily lives, we tend to be very active. And for us to actually just sit and do nothing or just let things be as they are is not easy, not something that comes easily. And this is a big contrast uh, to what I see in Sri Lanka. And I think many people here from Sri Lanka will have seen it too. In the villages, where a village where I stay, people can just sit and do nothing. They can just sit there very happily, you know, just things coming and going on the road, people coming and going. They just sit there on the, the veranda and do nothing. It's really quite amazing. And this is this is something that we we can't do often. You know, people can't do often in the in the, the West or in in many uh, these developed societies because we have a sense of doing and a sense of ourselves. This is defining ourselves by what we do. So could could you sit on a veranda for hours and just watch the world go by? I think we'd find it quite difficult. 
So the point of this meditation is to really to develop that ability to let be, to uh, to do nothing, and to just appreciate the peace in letting be, the peace in not having to do things, and to put the emphasis into the knowing what's happening at the present moment, whatever that is. Because that's the aim of meditation, really, is to be aware of what we are experiencing here and now. Not a particular, you know, if we want a particular state, if we want to have very peaceful meditation, or we want to have very deep meditation, we want to have jhanas, these sorts of things, uh, we're doing something, we're doing something. And this is not the aim of meditation, is to know just to know. And that knowing, when we develop that, it becomes the cause, it becomes the condition for these deep meditations to happen. When we, as it were, change gears from the doing, the doing part of us to the knowing part of us. And this is what meditation is focusing on. And it's very useful, this sort of um, meditation because there are many times in our lives we can we can use this approach of letting be or doing nothing. You know, for instance, Ajahn Brahm calls them the in-between moments. There's lots of them in our lives when we are in between things that we're doing, actually. So, for instance, when we're on the bus or on the train, uh, or we're a passenger in a car. When you're driving, you can't. <laughs> you have to be there. We can have uh, this uh, this uh, develop this uh, aspect of just letting be with whatever is happening in the present moment and seeing it as a peaceful um, experience, rather than when I I've been on the train only a few times, once I think so far since in this visit. But I see everybody on the smartphone, you know. Not everybody, but many people on the smartphone were busy, you know, texting and listening to music or whatever. But the idea of just sitting there, just being, just experiencing what's going on, not having to do anything, um, doesn't occur to many people, I think. <laughs> so this can be a very, a very good uh, opportunity to, in a sense, use those in-between moments in a very good way, to use them for developing peace, developing awareness, because this is what we are uh, developing when we are present with the present moment. And there is a, um, a famous Thai monk who had visited uh, Ajahn Brahm's monastery a couple of times, and I, I knew him from those days, a long time ago now. And uh, Ajahn Brahm sa uh, said that uh, he asked him, you know, what do you do in meditation? You know, what do you do for your meditation? And he said, I do nothing. <laughs> but that's amazing, isn't it? It, it? it sounds like, wow, wow. But in actual fact, it is something amazing because most of the time we're doing stuff in our meditation. So this is, and this is actually, you know, interfering with the mind settling down, becoming peaceful, becoming very aware and alert. Because we feel like we have to do it. We have to make it happen. And this is, of course, a big block in meditation. And it's, to a certain extent, it's a big block in life if we think like that, that we have to do it. We participate in whatever we're doing. We're part of it. And uh, if we have this attitude of being 
a participant but not the centre of the experience. It's quite a different way of just being part of the present moment. And the essence of letting be, of course, is this, uh, what I'm talking about, is acceptance of things as they are at the moment. You know, people will say to me, well, does that mean, you know, we accept everything, injustice and all these sorts of things? Of course not. But we have to accept what we're experiencing at the present moment. What we do in the next moment or in the future, that can be something quite different. And often it's much, much better if we, to a certain extent, get quite peaceful, quite still, and then we can make a decision about what's best to do about a situation. And then we can have clarity about it. But the essence of um, the essence of the reason we uh, what we're seeking actually in life is sort of a sense of perfection. And this is what keeps us busy. Actually, it's the essence of the four noble truths. Actually, <laughs> the second noble truth of wanting or tanha that we're, we're trying to find perfection, trying to find happiness and permanent happiness. And often that comes with a sense of perfection. And really, perfectionism, and I, I know from my own experience, what suffering it is if, you expect, if we expect ourselves to be perfect or situations to be perfect, or even worse, other people to be perfect. <laughs> that is real suffering. I call this... And it's really, you know, I call it, actually I've used this for another, other terms actually too, the fly in the ointment is imperfection. We live in an imperfect world. Things will n never be really perfect. And a perfect is a very subjective thing. Our perfect may be somebody else's very imperfect. They, they, they don't like it at all. So as I say, this is the heart of the, the Buddha's teaching, which is the second noble truth that wanting, craving, is, uh, causes our uh, experience of unhappiness, of unsatisfactoriness. Because we want things to be different than they are, desperately. <laughs> we want them to be perfect. And as I say, this is reality, does not, uh, does not comply to the way we want it to be. And... Uh, um, so this is really going to cause, uh, as it were, difficulties in our lives. So one of the things that uh, is very, very helpful for us, and if you're a perfectionist, many, many of us tend to be perfectionists, we want to get things just right, is to embrace imperfection. And, and uh, this is something that uh, is very useful to develop, actually, this, that imperfection is natural, is natural, uh, it's a natural phenomena. But I remember one retreat that I had in Sri Lanka actually and the, the strong feeling, the strong sort of insight that came from that was that everything belongs, whether I like it or not, whether it's perfect or not, whether it's pleasant or not, it all belongs. And this sense is, uh, is, is uh, the essence of... Uh, Think letting be. When things, when you accept things as they are, then letting be is a natural consequence. You don't try to get rid of things. You don't try to improve the present moment to make it perfect. Well, you can try, but <laughs> I think it will teach us that uh, it's, it's 
uh, wrought with uh, impossible uh, with uh, difficulties. And one experience brought this home to me particularly. You know that uh, uh, in Sri Lanka again was one time I was uh, in in a forest in Sri Lanka, actually at our central meeting place in Sri Lanka, beautiful place in the forest, and this wild chicken. They call them Wally Kukula in Sri Lanka. They call them Wally Kukula. They have lots of them, actually. It's really nice. And they are. They're wild chicken. And they're really beautiful. They've got lovely different colors, blue and all these sorts of colors, and orangey, browny colors and so on, and the males particularly. And um, one day I, I, was, I was in this, uh, staying at this uh, monastery, as I say, and I saw this Wally Kukula just fly down from a tree, just drop down from a tree. And just the sense of this this uh, Wally Kukula just being part of everything, no sense of he needed to justify being there or anything. Just this incredible part of the present moment was was really very strong for me. I realised, you know, how often I and I think most people feel we have to justify our existence, be something special, be something different. You know, this Wally Kukula, this wild chicken. It was just being a wild chicken, and it was just so present and not uh, not a problem at all, you know. And so this was really taught me something actually when I saw that wild chicken. Just how how complicated we are, and how how difficult we make our existence when we feel like we have to be something special. We have to be something other than we are. We can't just be who we are. <laughs> so this is uh, something that came to me. And it connected very much with, and often I often think of this saying from, uh, do people know the desiderata? Do you know that desiderata? I think so. It's a very, <laughs> it was uh, like very common in the 1970s and 1980s. I'm dating myself uh, by, by remembering it. And there was, it was this poem. It's quite a, it's a nice poem. And the idea that went around at that time was that it was found in a church in, I think it was Boston or somewhere like that, and it had date 1692 on it. And so it was, you know, at that time it was seen as this sort of very old wisdom from, you know, a long time ago. But, you know, with the internet and Google, <laughs> we now know it was written in 1927 <laughs> by an American poet. <laughs> so it's a, But it's still a very good, uh, something that inspires people and something that I liked. But it connected very much with the Wally Kukula, Kukula the wild chicken experience, because it reminded me of that, where it says, you are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Quite nice, isn't it? It's quite nice. But that sense of... We have a right to be here just because we exist here. We are part of this present moment. You know, just as the Wally Kukula didn't have to justify being there at all. We exist. And so we don't have to, as it were, be anything other than what, what and who we are. So this embracing the imperfections of ourselves and others is very useful. And I know uh, one day I go on arms round to the arms rounds where the monk goes with a bowl and we get food. And uh, t once a week I try to go down to Carnegie, to the shops, you know, down at Car Carnegie. 
And last year, I think it was last year, maybe it was the year before, these, you know, all these cafes and uh, shops, they put these interesting sayings outside their shops to capture, capture your attention. Presumably the idea is you'll go in and buy, buy something from there. And one shop, I remember, I think it was the glasses shop actually, said, had a sign saying, imperfection is beautiful. Imperfection is beautiful. I thought, my goodness, that's amazing to put on the sign. Then I thought, I wonder if people will shop there. Because <laughs> the idea, they think, wow, this shop, you know, very, very imperfect. I'm going to go in there. But it's, it actually is quite a truth, you know, imperfection. When we realize imperfection is part of life, and it's, we don't have to rearrange it. It's perfect as it is. You know, the, the present moment, I know one American teacher, she says, she says this, it's a real, what do you say, challenge to, to when you hear it, actually. When I heard it, I thought, oh, my goodness, you can't say that. She'd say that the, the present moment is perfect, however it is, even if you've got cancer, even if you've, you know, you're in a difficult situation, the present moment is perfect. Wow. I thought, my goodness, how can you say that? But it's perfect in the sense that the present, present moment is as it is, no matter how pleasant or unpleasant it is. It cannot, it cannot be other than it is at this moment. Next moment, yeah, can be different. So this also reminded me, this idea that imperfection is beautiful, the story of the Zen monk. And this is, I think it comes from Ajahn Brahm's book, Opening the Door of Your Heart. And in this story... Uh, and it, it sounds very, very um, like Zen practice. There was a young Zen monk, and his job was to rake the Zen garden. You know, they have these Zen gardens with, you know, little stones, or they have the sand. And, and he was doing all these nice sand patterns and, and cleaning up the leaves and, and all this sort of thing. And he'd get it just perfect. It looked really, you know, these Zen gardens look beautiful, they look amazing. And uh, he'd be very pleased with it. And the next thing he'd notice, there were leaves everywhere. He couldn't work it out. He thought, well, I've just swept. There's no wind. What's going on here? And so one day, he was, he was wondering about this, and he happened to see his master, the teacher. After he'd swept the garden, he'd go with a handful of leaves and scatter them around <laughs> in, the, in the perfect, perfect Zen garden. And he was giving him a teaching, wasn't he, that imperfection is perfect. He was giving him that uh, is beautiful. And uh, I know myself, you know, when I, when I uh, in Sri Lanka, the first thing people do, especially in the village, not so much in the city, you don't see it, is sweep around the house. And, uh, and uh, I would sweep around the kuti, the hut, after I came back from my arms round. And I would I'd sweep, and I'd always look back, and there'd be a leaf or two, and I think, good, <laughs> good, <laughs> because this is the perfection of the beauty and imperfection. Really, it is, and also it teaches us to, you know, to um, Ajahn Brahm uses this this idea of good enough. I, I don't, I'm not so keen on good enough actually, because it always implies that it's it's not really good enough, <laughs> but we'll we'll put up with it. <laughs> I think more like, uh, you know, uh, well, I like um, I'm so lucky, you know, I'm so lucky. Things are just fine as they are. Uh, 
the imperfection is okay. And so this is very much the, the heart of this, uh, our practice actually, is to be able to accept uh, imperfection, dukkha. One of the definitions of the uh, noble truth of suffering, the first, first noble truth, is, is not uh, getting what we want. This is unsatisfactoriness. And of course this is the usual thing we want, is permanence, we want perfection. And to be able to come to terms with this, accept this, understand this, can be very liberating. Liberate us from a lot of frustration and a lot of um, blaming. Often we blame others, we blame ourselves because we can't get it right. We think we're not clever enough, uh, we're not uh, uh, good-looking enough, whatever it is. And, of course, this is failing to realize reality is not going to comply, not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. And if we can appreciate that imperfection, then that makes life so much easier. And part of this, of course, is being able to accept that there are pleasant things in life and unpleasant things. And perfection, of course, is wanting it all to be pleasant, the way we want it to be. And of course, reality does not uh, comply with that, does not. And this is part of our practice, actually, is to, um, to see that what happens when we chase after pleasant things. We want, we want them, so we chase after them. And this en encourages a sort of greed aspect in our mind encourages us wanting to get things perfect. And then the unpleasant things, when things are not perfect, then we tend to reject them, we don't want them, we want to get rid of them. And this gives rise to our irritation and annoyance with uh, reality. So there's a pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and then there's neutral feeling, and we ignore that pretty much. But letting be uh, and letting go is in the middle. We're not chasing after wanting things to be a particular way and we're not trying to get rid of things. So we can come to peace in this middle, middle way um, and allow things to be. And of course we develop that wisdom of seeing that wanting things to be in the present moment other than they are leads to suffering for us, leads to dissatisfaction, leads to unsatisfactoriness for us. And that when we do come to turn, when we come to peace with it, it leads to letting go and letting be leads to peace, actually. So when we practice this letting be, we're learning the Four Noble Truths. And we're learning, as uh, Ajahn Brahm says, the Third Noble Truth, which is the letting things go, letting things go, letting what we want go for the moment you know, and then come to peace so that we can uh, can be at peace with the imperfect, imperfect. We can be at peace with the unpleasant as well as the pleasant, as well as the neutral. And this is uh, the essence of the Buddha's teaching, really, is this, this development of this way of dealing with reality, dealing with experience, and always, always investigating, seeing the results of our different approaches to the meditation and to life. So this 
And sometimes people say it's a difference between letting go and letting be. And I, I would, I would say a slight difference, slight difference, because letting be seems to be more passive. We're just accepting things as they are, whereas letting go can be something a bit more active in the sense that we're creating a cause for that to happen. So there, that could be the, uh, a valid way of uh, distinguish them, distinguishing them. So, for instance, <laughs> when we when we develop generosity. Uh, giving and so on, we're letting go of our own greed, a sense of what we want, how we want things, uh, that sort of thing. So that can be a form of letting go. And always, you know, one of the things I, I really find useful in, in my practice, and I think everybody, if we can use it, it's very useful, is to when we experience this unsatisfactoriness or dissatisfaction in our life, some suffering, to ask ourselves, what do I want or what do I want to get rid of? Very, very useful because then we start to turn whatever our experience is into a, a part of our practice. Then we can start to develop insight into our practice. What do we want or what do we want to get rid of? So this is very useful, you know, and particularly, you know, seeing the imperfection in life, that can be very, very useful. And realizing maybe we're wanting things to be perfect, ourselves, others, or situations, and they're not. <laughs> and that's hard to accept, actually. Uh, but it's the way to come to peace, and also the way to... Uh, we we can change for certain. We can change. We can't change others. And uh, when we flow with reality, of course, we can become. Uh, in, when we're in tune with it, it's much more of a uh, a sense of ease and peace, rather than the battle that we find ourselves in. So I think. I was going to read uh, Ajahn Brahm's got a nice story about. Uh, he's got two stories actually, but I won't. I won't read them. I think. Well, maybe I will. The, the simile of sitting in the garden. Do you know that one? Do you know that Ajahn Brahm's story? It's a lovely one. He puts this very nicely, actually. And he, I'll, I'll read it actually. I think. He says, uh, many people have gardens in their homes where they often spend many hours working. But a garden is to be enjoyed, not just to be worked in. So I advise my students that they should frequently go sit in their own garden and enjoy its be great beauty. Hopefully it's great beauty. The least adept, uh, the least uh, talented maybe, or um, in insightful students, of my students believe that they must mow the grass, prune the bushes, water the flower bed, rake the leaves and get the garden perfect before they can sit down and enjoy it. Of course, the garden never is perfect, no matter how hard they work, so they never get to rest. And then he says, the mediocre students, the middle students, on the other hand, refrain from work. Instead, they sit in their garden and they begin to sit, uh, think, mm, the grass needs mowing and the bushes should be pruned, the flowers are looking dry and the leaves really need raking and a native bush would, would look better over there and so on. 
They spend their time pondering how to make their garden perfect rather than simply enjoying it. They too find no peace. And then the third type of student is the, the wise meditator. <laughs> and they have done a lot of work in their garden, but now is their time for rest. That's the very important. They say the lawn could be mown, the bushes could be prune, pruned, the flowers could be watered and the leaves raked, but not now. <laughs> Can you do that? <laughs> Can we do that? We'll see in the meditation. And the garden is good enough as it is, and they can rest a while, not feeling guilty about unfinished business. And then he says, letting be meditation is just the same. Don't, just, uh, don't try to make everything perfect or tie up all those loose ends before you let things be. Life is never perfect, and the duties are never finished. It's like emails. Letting be is having the courage to sit quietly and rest the mind in the midst of imperfection. And I think when, it, when, when you can do that, you get a sense of flowing with, with uh, uh, reality, with, with nature, and a sense of peace that comes from that. And also, in a sense, it's a, a beautiful experience, or, yes, beautiful experience. So now we can uh, um, have a letting be meditate. There's not much to this, really. <laughs> but what's important with letting be meditation is our attitude. Actually, this is a very important thing, uh, as it is with the whole of our lives. So I'll do a guided letting be meditation, and, um, and we can see how we go. But this is something we can cultivate in our lives, in those in-between moments when we are waiting to do the next thing or waiting for an appointment. But, so first of all, we can make ourselves comfortable to find a good posture for the body, for the meditation, for about 45 minutes. Is it, uh, is it too hot in here? feel a bit warm? I feel a bit warm, but I may be in the hot seat. Can we have the AC on? Just, just a, Yeah, yeah, it could be good. I mean, it's nice and... Cool outside, it's it's it is, but yeah, it has happened actually. No, I know it is cool out there, but it's not cool in here yet. It's been quite a hot day, and we've we get a lesson in a, a Nietzsche nearly every day in 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 Melbourne actually. Is that? I don't think it's going to cool things very much, actually. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. Part of the reason things are imperfect is because of a Nietzsche change, because there can't be any. Uh, anything that's permanently perfect, uh, perm permanently the same. So we, we get quite a few lessons in this about change from the weather here in Melbourne because it changes so fast. <laughs> Amazing. Not like Perth, <laughs> where I come from. So now, if we can... That's, that's better, I think. People more comfortable? Yeah, hopefully.
Ah, that's true, yeah. Talk about imperfection. <laughs> ah, here we are. Natural AC. So we can just check. Just check out our posture and just to make any adjustments that we need to to make the body comfortable for, for this 45 minutes, roughly 45 minutes. And we can close the eyes so we can come into to contact, come in, become more aware of the body and how it feels. Just scanning the body from the top of the head to the feet and just seeing how it is at the moment and making any adjustments, moving the body to um, make it reduce any tensions that are in the body and to make it comfortable. And we can come into the present moment. We're just here now. What's happened has happened and what will happen hasn't yet. We're just here in the present moment. And as John Brahm said, has said, the past is history and the future is a mystery. <laughs> Quite good. So there's nothing we need to do for now, nothing we have to fix up, nowhere we have to go for the moment. And indeed, we deserve a rest in the present moment, a break, and time for ourselves. And we can bring the awareness, as I mentioned, to the body and just aware of how it is. Just being aware of the back is reasonably straight, but not tense. And our hands are comfortable either on our lap or on our knees. We do this so the body is not such a problem while we're meditating, not such a disturbance. Now we can relax the body from the top of the head, moving through the body, first of all, starting with the top of the head all around and giving the top of the head this warm, kind attention that relaxes the top of the head. And moving our attention down to the forehead, and all around the eyes, the cheeks and the mouth, and relaxing the face, soothing the face, allowing it to just be peaceful, to come to rest. Now I'm bringing to mind the neck, moving the attention down the neck slowly all around it with this kind, warm, relaxing 
attention, well-wishing attention. And now we bring to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving along the right shoulder, giving the right shoulder this mental massage, relaxing it, soothing any hardness, tension, tightness, allowing them to dissolve or reduce. And moving the attention down to the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and slowly moving it down with this uh, warm, relaxing attention to the elbow or around the elbow, the lower right arm, the wrist, the hands and fingers, right to the tips, soothing, relaxing whole of the right arm. Now we bring to mind the left shoulder starting at the neck and move the attention slowly along the left shoulder, relaxing it, soothing it, allowing any tension, any hardness to dissolve. And we bring to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving the attention slowly down the left arm. This warm, kind attention down to the elbow, all around the elbow, down the lower left arm to the wrist, the hands, hand and fingers of the left hand, relaxing and soothing the whole of the left arm. Now we bring to mind the back starting below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the back, relaxing area after area, soothing it, giving it this warmth, allowing tense areas, hard areas, painful areas to dissolve, to reduce. Moving our attention down back. Right down to the waist and down to the buttocks. 
relaxing the whole of the back, soothing the whole of the back. And now we can bring our attention to the front of the body, just below the shoulders, and move the attention slowly down the front of the body, experiencing area after area and relaxing it, soothing it, giving this warmth that allows tightness, pressure, any painful areas to relax and for those sensations to dissolve. Moving down the chest to the diaphragm area just below the chest and then to the stomach area just below that. Relaxing any areas that feel pressure, tightness, tension, feel uncomfortable giving this warm, kind attention. And we move the attention down to the abdomen, relax that area just below the stomach. Relaxing and soothing the whole front of the body. And now we bring to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg all around, giving it this uh, mental massage down to the knee, all around the knee and moving down the lower right leg all around down to the ankle, to the foot, and to the tip toes, right to the tips of the toes. Soothing, relaxing the right leg. And now we can bring to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and slowly moving our attention down the left leg all around it, experiencing what there is there and soothing, giving this soothing, warm attention to whatever we experience, down to the knee, all around the knee and down the lower left leg to the ankle to the left foot and to the toes right to the tips of the toes
soothing, relaxing. The whole of the left leg. Now we bring to mind the whole body, we put it all together, bring to mind the whole body just sitting here in the present moment, just however it is, this experience, the whole body sitting here, soothed, calmed, relaxed. And we can bring to mind the intention for our meditation. Always good to have an intention for the meditation. Just to let things be, whether they're pleasant, which is like uh, being perfect the way we want them, or whether they're unpleasant, imperfect, or not the way we want them. Letting them be, not trying to rearrange them, to improve on them. And just being aware of whatever we're experiencing right now. just allowing that experience to be like people coming into this room and going out of this room. We just let them come and go, these experiences. Keeping in mind that everything belongs to the, to the present moment that we're experiencing now, be it pleasant or unpleasant be it a physical experience, sounds, feelings in the body, the temperature of the air, or mental experience, thoughts, moods, reactions. All of this belongs to the present moment and we can just let it be And we can develop this Teflon mind, 
where nothing sticks, whatever experience comes, just allow it to slide off the Teflon mind, the non-stick mind. And just remembering, let it be, whatever it is, let it be. Becoming the observer of what this passing parade of sensations, experiences, feelings. Just letting them be. And coming to peace.
and as the mind wanders off, we just remember to let it be whatever we're experiencing, not getting involved with it, not trying to get rid of it, just letting it be. And allowing our awareness of the present moment to flow with the present moment.
So we're coming close to the end of the meditation now. And we can expand this feeling of letting be. This uh, peace, this acceptance. This not judging. To expand it to everyone here in the hall. and expand it further to all beings in Melbourne, this sort of letting be, accepting, not judging, this peace of allowing things to, and people to be as they are. And expanding this Healing of letting be to the whole of Australia, to all the beings here in Australia. And to the whole world, to all beings everywhere. This letting be, letting them be as they are. This peace, acceptance. And we can bring our attention back to ourselves and remind ourselves to let things be as much as possible whenever we can, whenever it's appropriate in our lives. To bring this sense of acceptance, acceptance and peace to what we experience. And we can ask ourselves, how do I feel now? Was I able to let things be? Or did I get caught up, involved? Trying to get rid of or to get? Judging? Liking and disliking. And what did I learn? What, what were the causes for what I experienced? What attitudes, what ways of looking helped me to let be, let things be?
Now we can slowly come out of the meditation, opening our eyes slowly and moving our bodies. Just uh, ask if there are any comments of, or you know experiences that one had, uh, people had during the meditation they'd like to mention, or uh, questions, or complaints. <laughs> if there's complaints, it's, it's not letting be, is it? <laughs> That's what we're usually doing, complaining about things, blaming things. Oh, there is one. Oh, all right. Good, good. Wow. That's small, isn't it? Oh, it's on there. Yeah. So the question is, uh, when I try to let go, yep. it actually feels like I'm trying to get rid of... And when I try to let it be, it actually feels like resignation. Oh, all right. I have to consult... I Sorry, I have... I've had had a constant chronic pain over many years and oh. developing a very strong aversion to it. Mm. Do you have any advice on how to develop contentment and to let go of the fight despite constant intrusive and limiting physical pain? Physical pain? Thank mm. you. And mm. UK. Yes. Oh, that's a really tough one, isn't it? Chronic pain is... a is a very difficult thing to to deal with in our lives um, and for it's really I mean you know I suppose it's what I would call a tough teacher you know it's really teaching us something but it's not easy to come to terms with and for instance to to let be chronic pain is not an easy thing to do to, to be able to see that as just unpleasant feeling is not easy it can be done, and when we do see it in those terms that it is just unpleasant feeling, it can can we can arrive. And this sounds very easy, but it's actually a deep awareness actually that it's not something personal. This pain, which is the, when we have pain, it feels very personal, and when we can see it as just unpleasant feeling for what it is, whether it be physical pain or mental pain that can make a big, big difference in the fight that we have with it, the resistance, the aversion, because this is our experience of the present moment, moment by moment, chronic pain. And, and I think this person is probably, you know, very much aware that our attitude towards the pain can increase or intensify it. It can make us feel very desperate, we're trapped, um, and give a sense of desperation, despair, maybe even depression, because we can we cannot get away from it. We want to get away from it. It's a natural human um, reaction, or any any being actually, not only human beings, all beings tend to move away from dukkha vedana. But if you can't, 
this is very very difficult so the the attitude the understanding the insight that it is just unpleasant feeling can be helpful can be helpful but it um you know i often think that uh, for this sort of situation too it's always useful actually loving kindness for ourselves is actually very useful like you know um a mother soothing a child and we can be soothe ourselves like we are our own child this pain is like our child and that can that can also help you know to uh, to calm the mind down to reduce that that um, reaction to the chronic pain but it's very this is a, a very tough teaching that uh, some people experience in their life is the is this chronic pain but the buddha as as i mentioned really he pointed out that there are two aspects to uh, our our experience of suffering or or unsatisfactoriness things not being the way we want them to be and one of them is the physical the body <laughs> the other is the mind and it's the mind which is far far more important the attitude we can bring to our experience whether it be the pain or whether it be um uh, other things so this is the, our attitude he called them two arrows or two darts that human beings are hit by is first the the difficulties we encounter with the body and the difficulties we encounter with the mind and for an enlightened being like the buddha the mind is no problem but for the buddha the body was still a problem <laughs> still experiencing pain but not seeing it as my pain and this is a very very important part of dealing with chronic pain would be not seeing it as my pain because then it makes it unbearable then there is no distance from it it's pain it's unpleasant feeling arising and as i say that's very easy to say but if you experience that insight that it is nothing personal that it is this vedana this uh, um dukkha vedana unpleasant feeling then that can help quite a lot in dealing with it the other aspect of it and i like this very much the um, one of my teachers a scientist utajaniya he's quite famous now do many people know of him have you heard of him scientist utajaniya burmese monk or from myanmar he uh, teaches chitanupassana and he says nobody uh, likes pain and the reaction to pain is, is usually aversion but he says instead of paying attention to the actual physical pain some people teach you know for instance if you have a pain in your knee go to it and focus on it and that can be useful if you've got a very steady mind and there's not aversion in the mind you can investigate pain and go through it uh, but for most people there is just aversion so what he suggests doing is not paying attention to where the chronic pain is where the where it's arising physically but to watch the reactions in the mind so we're to- turning the mind to looking at we call it chitanupassana watching the mind and its reactions of course this person's going to say well, what i see is aversion and and but this can be interesting uh, can actually help us deal with chronic pain just to 
move the focus away from the actual experience to the reaction in the mind and um, and and may you know be a good way to uh, come to terms or mm, to reduce the suffering that comes from chronic pain it's not an easy thing I think this is very tough teaching actually that uh, um, some people experience but if we look at anything we experience difficulties in life as part of our practice this changes it enormously because no longer is it just me why is it me we're starting to look at it in a, a more universal way that you know many people experience this and this is a very helpful way to turn our experience into insight this is why <laughs> Dukkha is such a good teacher for us. This is um, unsatisfactoriness. This is suffering. It's easy to say to a person who's in chronic pain that, you know, uh, that Dukkha is your teacher, but it is actually true. We are motivated by the experience of things not being the way we want them, unpleasant, not what we like, not what we want, not perfect. And this really propels us into... to um, resolving that problem and of course the resolution to the problem of dukkha comes from understanding <laughs> it's understanding uh, you know this sort of acceptance that letting letting be brings us can bring us to the letting go of wanting and as the person said yes letting go can too often be just a sort of a coming from a sense of wanting to get rid of something <laughs> And, of course, that's not letting go, is it? That's not letting be either. And letting be, as I said, it sounds like a resignation to the, to whatever we're experiencing. Then you feel like you're a victim, victim. But if we keep the what our experience in mind in terms of practice, and then this can be helpful, maybe helpful for this person too, you know, to see it as our teacher... Ayakima, one of my teachers, she was very, very, she said, she used to say, Dukkha is our best teacher. She said, other teachers, you know, go to a meditation retreat and somebody says, oh, I've got terrible backaches and, you know, I've got big headaches and so on. And, 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 and most teachers at these meditation retreats will say, well, that's, you can go home if, if you feel like it's too much, please go home and, you know, just relax and, and take medicine or whatever you need to do. But she said, Dukkha's not like that. <laughs> it doesn't say go home. It goes with you wherever you are. It won't leave you alone. And this person in chronic pain is, is, is experiencing this. There is how to, you cannot escape from Dukkha like that. Dukkha will always be there uh, teaching us and prompting us to realize the unsatisfactoriness of life. And to come to terms with that, come to this acceptance, this understanding. And it's really when we become to the understanding, the insight into dukkha, dukkha vedana, as being part of life. It comes with, you know, the, the understanding of pleasant feeling too. Because <laughs> people always want to get rid of unpleasant feeling. But we don't realize, or most people don't realize, that we're slaves to pleasant feeling, chasing after those so we have no freedom from either of them. And really the, the peace of letting be uh, is 
is somewhere between, is in the middle between these two extremes. And this is actually happiness and this is rest. The chasing, chasing after pleasant feeling, the ch running away from unpleasant feeling, is no peace in that. There's no peace. And there's no satisfaction. It's an ever-continuing ever struggle <laughs> to make, make life the way we want it and get the most out of the most pleasant feeling we can get out of it and trying to avoid the unpleasant feeling. And in the process, you know, often being frustrated. But this is a very tough teaching. And I think, you know, sadhu to you, if you can, you know, take it as part of your practice and see it in terms of, as say, unpleasant feelings, see it in terms of your practice, as I mentioned, and also to see the reactions in the mind. But most of all, to have that loving kindness for yourself, you know, that caring, that soothing, with, um, you know, because one is uh, experiencing this chronic pain over and over, all the time. If it's all the time, can't turn it off. Just to to be very, very kind with ourselves, you know. So th this is what I would suggest, you know, for this person. It's always got to be a total package, you know, because understanding is good, but the feeling side is very, very important too, you know, this sense of peace, acceptance, of kindness to ourselves, very important, because if it's not there, um, all the intellectual understanding will not be a comfort, actually. And really, we need the insight to break through. Once we have an insight into the um, unpleasant feeling, that it's just unpleasant feeling, there'll come, if it's a real insight, there'll become peace, there'll become a sense of um, acceptance, this letting be, and a certain happiness too, because we have understood something, a joy actually, we've understood something, and it's giving us, you know, as I mentioned often, this freedom, this is what the Buddha is talking about, to free us, you know, totally, and the whole of the Buddha's, the Buddha's said, the whole of his teaching has one flavour, just as the ocean has one flavour, the flavour of salt, hopefully that's <laughs> the one flavour, and he said the flavor, the taste of his teachings is freedom. There's freedom at every level. And so, you know, f this freedom of insight, the freedom that it gives us to look at our experience in a totally different way that transforms it, uh, that transforms it from being such a personal experience into something that's universal, can be is very freeing. So... I wish you well for that, and I, I don't say it's easy. I won't say that's easy at all, because you have nowhere to run. Most of us run. We've got distractions. We've got things to hide in. We've got things we blame, because this is usually the thing that happens with dukkha. We'll blame others. We'll blame ourselves, blame the situation, blame the government, blame the weather. <laughs> but in the end, when you've got chronic pain like this, all that blame doesn't do much for us. It just makes us more angry and more frustrated and more um, more pain in the mind. So I'd like to just offer that advice and uh, that suggestion and uh, see, please try it out and see, see how that hel helps you uh, in this very difficult situation of chronic pain. So thank you. Thank you for that question. So now we can finish off the evening and those who would like to, we can bow to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha where this is all coming from.